The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. We're going to continue in our series that we've been in the past couple of weeks called Confessions of a Pastor. And the title of my message this morning, if you are a note taker, is Pressing Through Discouragement. So that's really my confession to you all today is that I get discouraged. Sometimes I get discouraged a lot. And this is probably, as I'm thinking about the rest of the series and even leading up to this message, this is probably the hardest confession, I think, to make to your congregation as a pastor because I want you guys to see me as optimistic. I want you guys to see me as encouraging, as positive. And because of this, when I may get discouraged, the natural tendency, like a lot of us, I'm sure, is to deal with your discouragement in isolation because you don't want anyone else to know that you're dealing with something or that you're discouraged. And so I often will retreat into isolation when I'm discouraged because the enemy, he'll use the smallest things to knock me off track. Now, I mean, it's always the littlest things, it seems like, sometimes that the enemy would just blow up and make a lot bigger deal than it actually is, to where when you actually go through it and you come out on the other end, you look back and you go, wow, that wasn't as big of a deal as what I actually made it in my mind, because my imaginations may run away with me, or maybe the idea of what could possibly happen in this circumstance, or maybe the frustration of what's not happening in this circumstance will just really just pull on my mind and my emotion and just really get me down. You know, I get discouraged when things don't go the way that I was hoping that they would go, or I'll get discouraged when maybe someone disappoints me in just some way, doesn't matter what it is. I may get overwhelmed with tasks and opportunities even that seem impossible, maybe are mountains that are just kind of staring at you, that you're like, how am I going to get through this? And I always want to do the right thing. And when I let other people down or when they lose faith in me, I'll struggle with that. And I know I'm not perfect, and I'm really hard on myself. Um, I'm really hard on myself. If anyone that knows me knows I'm extremely hard on myself, I'm always trying to get better at something. I'm always trying to improve something. And if something doesn't work out, I'll jump over to something else to try to improve and always wanting to develop and just grow and improve who I am. And I've realized that I have high expectations of myself and I often have high expectations of other people. So I am literally the perfect candidate, I think, to be set up for discouragement because of my expectations. But somehow, even though I may get discouraged, even though I may have unmet expectations, I need to recognize, just like all of us need to recognize, that we have to press through discouragement because we can't stay and live in it. We can't lay a foundation and put up walls and put a bedroom in and begin to live in the land of discouragement. We have to refuse to stay there. And I refuse to stay in a place of discouragement, but pressing through discouragement is not always easy. But if we want to grow, it's something we must do. If we want to really grow, if we want to become the people God has called us to be, if we want to make the impact on eternity that we say we want to make, and if we truly want to live a life that's going to be glorifying God, that is walking in victory that was bought and paid for by Christ, 
then we have to learn how to press through discouragement and not isolate and not live in pity parties and not live in the land of discouragement where we keep replaying over and over again those discouraging words or the frustrations of how this person disappointed me or how the situation didn't work out the way I wanted it to or how things didn't go the way that I wanted them to. Oftentimes we'll hit the repeat button it's like an old broken record. Maybe someone's words that was spoken to you. Maybe someone said those words to you in anger. Maybe someone said those words to you uh, in a manipulative way. And the enemy would love to just bring those things up in the past. He would love to bring up those words maybe that a parent spoke or maybe a teacher or a friend or a spouse that was damaging, that hurt. And in those moments of vulnerability, in those moments of discouragement, the enemy comes and whispers those words and you just repeat them. And we take the bait too often and we just replay these things over and over and over again in our minds. You're not good enough. You're never going to make it. You're never going to get out of this situation. It's always going to be this way. Just accept it. You're never going to be able to truly have a happy marriage. It's always going to be dysfunctional. You're never going to truly learn how to manage finances. Why do you even try? You know, why don't you just live? Life is short, right? Just go ahead and just do whatever you want. Don't make plans. Don't, don't invest. Don't save. Don't learn how to steward well. Just go and do whatever you want to do. Do whatever feels good because you always stink with money anyways. You're terrible with it. You're always going to have an anger problem. Your parents had an anger problem. Your grandparents had anger problems. It's inherited. It's in your DNA. It's who you are. You can't help it. And the enemy comes and whispers all of these things in your ear and we begin to believe them and we begin to replay these lies over and over again and we have to learn how to press through discouragement so we can truly walk in the victory that God has for us and that he's already bought and paid for and I have to do it just like everyone else. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I'm the exception to the rule and I'm always happy and I'm always up and I'm always excited and I'm always full of energy and I'm always full of life and my life is just like skipping through a field of daisies and bunnies and puppies and <laughs> kittens and that's my life. It's just wonderful and everything always works out for me. It doesn't and I get discouraged and I get frustrated and I have to learn how to press through it. And even the times where I, I'm not optimistic, maybe I'll be pessimistic and my glass is definitely half, in, half empty sometimes. I have to learn how to press through those things. But I think the key to this is really understanding our expectations. Because the further away our expectations are from reality, the greater our emotional response is going to be. Too many of us live what is called reactive living, meaning we always react to every circumstance that comes our way and we live reactive lives where our emotions are in the driver's seat. And our emotions will drive our behaviors. Our emotions will drive our decision-making. Our emotions will drive the words we speak because we're at such a heightened or low emotional state. And this comes from your expectations. Because reality, we need to understand, is neutral. Reality is neither good nor bad. Reality simply exists. It's what are we going to do about what reality is. The thing that makes it bad to you or me is our expectations. Maybe you came home and things weren't done like you thought they should have been. Maybe you gave some, uh, some jobs to the kids that they were supposed to do while you were gone. Or maybe there was a certain expectation your spouse was going to have something done by the time you got home. And you get home and guess what? It's not done. Well, if your expectations are way up here, reality simply is. The only thing that makes it bad and the thing that's going to temper my reaction is going to be where I 
have my expectations. And the further away my expectations are from reality, the more I'm going to get disappointed, the more I'm going to get angry, the more I'm going to react, the more I'm just going to respond in a negative way that's probably going to hurt other people because hurting people hurt other people. And so they're only projecting their hurt and their disappointment onto other people or we'll internalize it all and we'll just shrink away mad at the world. We'll internalize it all and we'll isolate it and we'll be mad at God. We'll be mad at the church. We'll be mad at the pastor. And we'll be mad at everybody. We'll be mad at our parents, mad at our spouse, mad at our kids, mad at our boss. And we'll hold it all in and just isolate and try to deal with it. But it's all coming from unmet expectations. It'll either drive us to depression, drive us to anger, drive us to bad decision-making because we're far removed from reality with our expectations. Reality is neutral. And we need to understand that this is why we'll take crushing blows often and turn them, uh, you know, just into these, this big awful mess or turn it into this amazing victory based on what we're willing to do with reality. Some people can take a terrible situation and they can see it as an opportunity as where everybody else may be freaking out and the sky is falling and everything's coming crashing down, someone will go, there's an opportunity there. Even though there's a challenge, even though there's something that's discouraging, even though there's something that's difficult that is being presented, some people look at that and say, there's opportunity there. That's the difference that causes maybe people to work harder next time after a failure versus people that just want to throw their hands up in the air is our expectation. And when we have our expectations completely unmet if it's so far removed from reality and we can't bring those expectations back to see reality for what it is and we're just always expecting everyone to do for us we're always expecting everyone to fix our problem we're always expecting everyone else to be our answer then we never truly press into God and we never truly learn how to live in a place of victory we live in a great disappointment and we lose hope turn in your Bible over to Romans chapter 5 the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 5, let's look at verse 1. Paul says this to the group of Jews and Gentiles that are now both believers that are dealing with their own sets of challenges that could be very discouraged because maybe they're not able to work things out the way that they had hoped because they're just wanting to prove one another wrong and they're wanting to make sure that everyone sees that their way is the right way. The Jews want to be right. The Gentiles want to be right. And Paul's trying to help these guys see that it's truly about grace and it's truly about faith in Christ and the finished work of the cross. And this is what the apostle Paul says to that group when he writes them this letter in Romans 5 and verse 1. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul said something crazy here, that we should rejoice not only that our hope and our faith is in the cross of Christ and that we've been justified by Christ and by what Jesus did, but we should also rejoice in suffering. I get rejoicing in what Christ did on the cross, but I don't get this rejoicing in suffering thing. That doesn't make sense, but he uses the same word there. 
He says, rejoice, not only in this, but also rejoice in suffering because of what suffering produces in us. Because of what God can do through something that the enemy meant for your destruction and for you to get caught in a snare, a trap of failure and disappointment and discouragement, to be uh, uh, only drawn into self-loathing, to be drawn into self-pity, to be drawn into isolation, to be drawn into further sin, to try to medicate the pain from the disappointment. Instead, he says, rejoice in that suffering because it's going to produce something good in you. Rejoice in that suffering, Paul says, because it's going to produce endurance. Maybe you have a version of Scripture that says perseverance. That you're going to keep on pressing because you're not going to give up hope. Because you know that perseverance through trials, through suffering, is going to produce something in you. It's going to produce more character. It's going to begin to sharpen your character because it's going to force you to deal with things in your life that maybe you can sweep under the rug really, really good. Because when you go through difficult circumstances, it brings that stuff to the surface to where you've got a choice. I could either pretend that it's not happening and not deal with it, or I could face it. And then if you allow that to continue to be sharpened, it's going to do something in you. It's going to give you hope. And hope doesn't disappoint. It's not putting us to shame, the Apostle Paul says. It's going to solidify something in you. Because I want you to understand this and hear me really clear this morning. I want you to get this. The victory from the struggle is not when you get your way. Oh, let me say that slow so I can say that some more, somebody. Because I want you to internalize this. I want you to get this. I want you to lock it down, write it down, underline it, highlight it. The victory... From the struggle is not when you get your way. So many people think victory means I get my way. What I want to happen, when I want it to happen, how I want it to happen, that's victory to some people. But understand, the victory from the struggle you're facing is not when you get your way. Instead, the victory from the struggle is when you deepen your trust in God. That's the true victory in the struggle. It's when things that you know in your mind turn into things you believe. And because they turn into things you believe, then you can regularly put them into practice in your life and no one can take it away from you. No devil in hell could take away that thing that has been solidified in you because you have persevered through something and seen God move. You've seen God bring a victory, maybe not when you wanted it, how you wanted it, but he's done something in you and developed something in you deeper than what you had before. Man, I don't know how many sermons I've preached on hope, how many sermons I've taught and preached people over and over again on encouragement and you know, making sure they continue to move forward in life that they embrace change, that they embrace those things that may be difficult. But when you're in it, oh man, it's a whole different ballgame. When my wife gave birth to our twins, one of our twin girls, the, the first one that was born, Abigail, she was very sick and had to be emergency metaflighted to Children's Hospital in Little Rock, Arkansas. And there she lived in a little plexiglass box hooked up to all kinds of wires and all kinds of things that were keeping her alive. Machines that were breathing for her. Things that were pumping things in her body to keep things flowing, to 
make sure that she was still alive at four days old, this little infant that we are not allowed to touch. There's this brand new baby that we just had is in this little box as doctors and nurses and specialists attend to her trying to keep her alive, to treat her. And over and over again, people would say, we're praying for you. We're praying for you. We're hoping that the doctor gives us a, a, a good report because there were constant tests that were being done on her. And it seemed like that the more we prayed, actually the worse it seemed to get, the more hopeless the situation became. And I began to think one day, after about a month of this, I began to think back on all the sermons that I've preached about healing, all the sermons that I've preached about the faithfulness of God, all the scriptures that I'd memorized, all the things that I had learned and even taught other people about trusting God in difficult times. And now I'm faced with actually having to apply it. There's a difference when you teach it, when you learn it, and then when you're faced with a challenge that puts you in a position where you have an opportunity to actually apply it. Because some things are real easy to say. But in the book of James, the first chapter, what does James tell us to do? Not just to be a hearer of the word, but to do what? Be a doer of the word. Not deceiving yourselves, he says. And now I'm in an opportunity to actually apply the things that I had learned, that I had taught, that I knew, that were up here. But now it's game time. Now it's time to actually live it. And now I'm in a situation where I'm being faced with my own doubts. I'm being faced with what do I really believe. I'm being faced with do I really trust God regardless of how this situation turns out or is it my way and I'm trying to get God to do it my way on my time schedule. And we tried to get God to do it on our time schedule and we tried to get God to do it our way and guess what? It didn't work. We got disappointed over and over and over again because God would not sync up with what we wanted to do when we wanted him to do it. Just confuse the mess out of us. Here we are up here crying out to God. We have a prayer chain because we think the more people we can get praying for this baby, maybe the louder it would be. Maybe there's like some interference, you know, on God's telephone line, on the bat phone. You know, there's some interference and we really need him to hear this call. And so we're going to get as many people praying as loudly and as long and as hard as they can. So God will do what we want him to do when we want him to do it. And it wasn't working. There would be a test done. I remember she had to have like four different spinal taps done because of the meningitis that had gotten into her system. And every time they would run tests, there's two different kinds of meningitis, the doctor would tell us. There's one that's really aggressive and one that's not that aggressive. Let's pray when we get the doctor's report back that it won't be the aggressive kind. And we would get the doctor's report back. And guess what? It was the aggressive kind. Oh, man. Well, another test would be performed. Well, let's pray that it will be this when the doctor lets us know and not this. And it didn't work. And over and over and over again, we're constantly getting disappointed. Now, I have to remind myself, I've taught this stuff. Are you hearing me this morning? I have to remind myself that I know this. And if I were sitting at your bedside, or if I were in a hospital when your child was in the hospital, I know exactly what I would tell you. And now I'm having to tell myself. And now I'm having to actually live it. And that's when I put a stop to all this. And I said, right there in that moment, and I sent out an email to everybody on our email chain and all that stuff, and I said, listen, I appreciate what you're doing. 
but we're going to stop praying for good doctor's reports because we're putting our faith in the doctor. And we're saying, the, the doctor's not a bad guy or a bad lady. The doctor's just simply doing their job. They're trying to diagnose and treat with what they have learned and all the things that they're doing. It's great. I'm not against them. I just can't put my hope and my faith and my trust in them. I can't put my hope and my faith and my trust that they're going to be the answer. I can pray that God shows them something that perhaps maybe they don't see. But if they give me a bad report, whether I get a good report or whether I get a bad report, what really matters is, are you going to trust God? And I told people, I said, we're just going to trust God in this situation. And we're going to say, God, we're going to put our hope and our faith and our trust in you in this situation. And we're, I, I don't even want us to pray for another good doctor's report because I want us to have the peace of God in our family. I want us to have the peace of God through this. And when I made that stand, that we were going to stand on what God said and we were going to trust God through this storm, everything shifted, everything changed. Because... I got some good news, got some bad news. One of the pieces of information I was given by a doctor was that before we were released from the hospital, because of the damage that was done to her brain through the aggressive strand of meningitis, that she may never be able to walk, talk, look you in the eye. You're going to have a very challenging you know, upbringing. I said, well, we're just going to trust God. And that's all I could do. That's all I could do, folks, was just trust God. Instead of trying to control God, I just decided to trust God, to trust that He's good, to trust that He's faithful, to trust that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, to trust that His Word is true. And it wasn't until three years later that we went for her final MRI, and the doctor said, her brain has completely healed around the damage that happened, and she should function just fine as a typically developing child. And he said, there's one spot that I'm concerned about. And then we went back for a follow-up appointment later, and that spot was completely gone. And we thank God that he moved in our situation within that three-year time. But for three years, we didn't know anything. All we knew is that we had to trust God. We, we didn't know what situation we were going to be dealing with, but we knew we needed to trust that God was good, and we needed to stand on his promises and stand on his word, and that we didn't need to allow whatever the doctor reported to sway our trust in God. And for three years, there were times where I was going, trust God. And there were some times where I was going, not so sure about this. Because we would, we would wonder, what's going on? Things aren't happening when they're supposed to be happening. Her twin started walking before she did. And Abigail would, we always knew, even though we had twins, we always knew which outfits were Abigail's because she scooted everywhere. She would scoot around on her butt everywhere. She'd just scoot around. And she, she didn't even crawl. Normally, you crawl before you walk, right? And that's kind of how the majority of us have probably done this thing. And she never crawled. Never once did she ever crawl. She just scooted around, and all the bottoms of her outfit would, fits would be ruined. We'd go through a lot more diapers with her because she'd ruin diapers from scooting around on the floor, and they would just be filthy on the bottom. But, you know, I guess she was kind of cleaning our floors in a way, so it kind of... <laughs> and here she was scooting around, and we don't know. You know, is she going to walk? Was the doctor right? I just have to trust God. That's all I can do. You understand? I am powerless in the situation. All I can do is completely depend and trust on God and say, do the things that I've taught, do the things I've come to believe, do the things that I know and I teach to other people, do I really believe these things? 
And is God really good? Is he really faithful? I have to trust that whether I get my way when I want it and how I want it, or whether something happens or changes, or whether things stay the same for a long period of time, I don't know. I can't control that. I have to trust. That's my role. Amen? And I had to make that decision to trust God through the challenge, through the storm. And it was a Wednesday night that I was preaching. Some of you guys remember Wednesday night services. Midweek service. At the church I was at at the time, we had midweek service, and I had just finished preaching that night. And the nursery let out, and there wasn't a lot of people there, you know, on a Wednesday night. And uh, the kids were kind of getting out of their classrooms and whatnot and coming into the main sanctuary. And here comes Abigail. You know, Leah's walking around. My son Josiah's walking around. And here comes Abby. She's scooting along. She's just scooting, doing her thing, you know. And I'm still up on the stage, and I'm taking the microphone off, closed my Bible up, everything's done. People are starting to talk to each other. And she scoots over by me, and she puts her hand on the stage, and she pulls herself up and takes off walking. <laughs> and she just started walking. She, she took probably about five, six steps and fell down. And then she picked herself back up and started walking again. She just decided to walk. She never crawled. She scooted for two years, this child scooted, while my other daughter was walking. And we tried. We, we had a physical therapist try to help her to crawl because he said she has to crawl to build these muscles before she can walk. Well, apparently she didn't. <laughs> she developed those muscles from scooting. And man, let me tell you, she was good at it. She decided to get up one day and walk. I didn't see anything happen for two years. Are you understanding me this morning? I didn't see anything happen for two years. I just had to trust that God was good. I just had to trust that God. And I said, God, I need to trust in you. And I need to hold tight, Lord, to faith that you are good. Because real hope is developed when your faith is deepened. And let me tell you something. I learned a lot of lessons during that trial, during that struggle, that you can never take away from me, that the enemy could never rob me of because I remember what God did and how he proved himself faithful. And it's no longer something that I just know up here. It's something that's a part of who I am. It's something that a challenge, that a trial, that I persevered through developed character in me. And that character has enabled me to have a hope that does not fail, that does not pass away. And I know that the same God that did that and saw me through that and our family through that is the same God that is going to see me through whatever challenge that, or whatever lie the enemy may try to throw in my face. The Bible doesn't say I won't walk through the valley of the shadow of death but rather the psalmist says, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to be afraid. Why? Because you're with me. Because you're rod and your staff that comfort me. I know that even in the presence of my enemies, that you're the one who's preparing a table. And I know that you're doing it beforehand, that you're even aware that those things are coming. Jesus didn't say, it's all going to go great if you come follow me. He said, actually, he told his disciples, he said, you know what? A lot of people in the world, they're going to hate you, and it's going to be my fault. So pick up your cross, and let's get going. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, you're going to have challenges. Whether you're a believer or not, you're going to have challenges. The difference is, is that if I'm a believer, and I have put my hope and my faith in Jesus Christ, that I don't have to walk through this life feeling sorry for myself and being hopeless because I know that my God is faithful. That's the difference, is that I have a hope 
Even when I go through difficulties, that these things are sharpening me and deepening and solidifying my faith, and it's transitioning from something I know. It's transitioning from something I've heard. It's even transitioning from something I've taught to other people into something that no one can take away. Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction, the evidence of things not seen. And we know Romans 10 and 17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, but it grows and deepens when it's tried. That's why Paul says rejoice, not only in this, but also in sufferings because of what it produces. You see, faith is refined through the fire because God is faithful. Faith is refined through the fire because you experience that hope, and hope is a powerful thing when discouragement comes, when people disappoint you, when things don't work out the way you want. Hope is a powerful thing, and the enemy knows that. That's why he tries to put us in situations to make us feel hopeless, because if he can make us feel hopeless, then we may go, oh, I'm giving up on God. I'm giving up on this church thing. It's not working out the way I wanted it to. I'm giving up on my marriage. They're, they're not responding to the things I'm doing. I'm giving up on my, my relationship with my parents. I just, I just can't reconnect with them. It's hopeless. I'm giving up on this job. It's hopeless. I'm giving up on this. I'm giving up on that. And we just throw our hands up in the air, and that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to feel hopeless, like there is no other option for you except to just run away from the challenge that there's no other option for you, that there's no reason for you to persevere, that there's no reason for you to keep on moving, that there's no reason for you to keep on pressing. And if he can get you to believe that, he can get you to give up hope. But we know that trials, that sufferings, that challenges produce perseverance if we hold tight to the hand of God and we trust him and that perseverance and endurance develops character in us and that character produces hope. And we know that hope does not disappoint. It does not put us to shame. Amen, somebody. Amen. You see, your faith is deepened when you remind yourself of the faithfulness of God. Flip over to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4, just to kind of catch you up to speed here, if you're not familiar with the story of Joshua, Joshua was the leader of the nation of Israel as they were transitioning out of slavery into the promised land that God had set apart for his people. This is a nation of over a million people that was following Moses. You guys remember Moses. He helped to lead the children of Israel out of 400 years they had been slaves. And that, that chain and, and cycle of slavery had been broken when God delivered the children of Israel out of the hands of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And some amazing miracles happened. We saw the children of Israel, uh, they were preserved even when all these different plagues happened over the land of Egypt. We saw that God would lead them with a, 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 a pillar of a cloud and, and, and smoke and that he would lead them with uh, fire. And we saw that he would uh, move and part the Red Sea for the entire group of people, over a million people, to walk across dry ground. We saw God even feed them with manna. We saw God provide food from heaven literally every morning for these people as they were transitioning out of slavery into God's promises. But along the way, Moses dies, and the guy that was kind of his right-hand man, Joshua, it was his time to take over and be the leader. So Moses has passed away. Joshua is leading them through the rest of this. It doesn't mean that all the challenges are over. No, there's still more challenges before they get in the promised land. 
And one of those challenges was the Jordan River. Here we are in a familiar scenario. These people had experienced this, and some of them who were probably born into it had heard stories about it, where maybe when they were kids, they crossed over the Red Sea on dry ground. And now here we are, the Jordan River. What are you going to do with all these people? You've got a lot of people that are needing to cross over this river. And God tells Joshua to instruct the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant into the river. He said, walk into the river, and the river all rolls up to one side. It doesn't split down the middle like it did with the Red Sea. It, it all rolls up to one side, and it just stays there. And then they walked across on dry ground, but the priests stood there the entire time that the people of Israel were walking over on dry ground, and they were holding the Ark of the Covenant. And this is where we pick that story up in Joshua chapter 4, verse 1. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan and the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and each one of you take a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask in times to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Here, the people have just walked through this challenge that was in front of them on dry ground. And Joshua says, hey, before the priests step out of the river, and the waters come back. Grab some stones. I want each one of you representing your tribe to come. I want you to come. I want you to come. You. And I want you guys to come and grab. Each of you grab a stone. Throw it on your shoulder. So this had to be a big stone if I'm throwing it on my shoulder. Carry this stone. And, and we're going to take these 12 stones and we're going to stack them up over here. And we're going to make a monument of sorts, a memorial of sorts. So that way, when your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren are walking along the banks of the river, and maybe they're fishing, maybe they're playing, and they see all these stones piled up, and it's obvious someone did this. They go, what, what are all these stones about? That you've got a story to tell about the faithfulness of God. Well, let me tell you, little Johnny or little whatever, you know, let me tell you a story about the faithfulness of God. Let me tell you what God did. We faced something that seemed impossible, but God moved in our situation, and here's what he did. And not only did he do that, but let me tell you some more about what God did. You see, you have to remind yourself of the faithfulness of God. This is how you're going to press through discouragement. You're going to remind yourself of the faithfulness of God because the same God that got you across the Red Sea is the same God that will get you across the Jordan River. And it's the same God that's going to get you past the walls of Jericho and get you into the promised land. It's the same God that saved you. It's the same God that has forgiven you. It's the same God that has moved and intervened in your situation before. And it's the same God that will get you through whatever it is you're dealing with now. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He didn't lead you this far to go, okay, well, good luck with that. 
He didn't bring you this far. Listen, if you are still sucking air, he has a plan for you. Because the air that you are breathing in is testimony of the fact that God still has purpose in your life. There is purpose burning in your belly, and you need to see that purpose come forward. But for you to see that purpose come forward, you got to keep on moving. You can't stop. You can't start feeling sorry for yourself and take 10 steps backwards and just stay there. No, if you get knocked back a little bit, you pick yourself up, remind yourself of the faithfulness of God, and you have to keep pressing on. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I fight the good fight of faith. I'm pressing on towards the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. I'm pressing. I'm still running this race. I'm not giving up. I want to finish strong. I want to keep moving forward. Because everyone else may have written you off. You may think, oh, I wish I would have made better decisions when I was younger. We all wish that. But you've made the decisions that you've made. And remember, reality is neutral. It's your expectations. If you expect someone to build you a time machine so you can go back and correct everything, then you're going to be sorely disappointed and be discouraged, are you not? Because your expectations are way too far from reality. But if you say, reality is what it is, and I can do something about it now with what time God has given me left, then I'm going to move forward from this point on and I'm going to live my life to make an impact on eternity. I'm going to live my life in a way with, that has purpose. I'm going to live my life in a way that is going to glorify God and I'm going to trust Him regardless of what trials I may be facing or may come at me in the future. You see, there was a time in the children of Israel's life where God took care of them and just provided everything they needed by giving them food every single morning, give them manna. But then the same group of people, when they crossed over this Jordan we just read about, if you read just a little further, you'll find that they ate fruit from the promised land that God had given them. And the Bible says, in the day that they ate the fruit of the land, the manna ceased. You see, now things have changed. Things have shifted. God's still faithful. He's just faithful in a way that now is requiring these people who have been brought through so much to now take a greater deal of responsibility than they had before. They didn't have to work for manna except to collect it. But now there's crops in the promised land, but they've got to do a little farming. They've got to do some harvesting. They've got to do some planting. They've got to do some watering. They've got to do some tending and some caring. It, it, it's more than it was before, but you've been brought through so much for such a time as this to be in this position at this time, and you don't need to go back to where you were. You need to stay where you're at and keep moving forward instead of wishing that everything was the way it used to be. You see, you can wish for yesterday. You can hope that yesterday will be revived and renewed. Or you can say, no, here's where I'm at today, and I want to move forward from here because God has done a great deal in me, and he's brought me this far, and I need to keep on trucking and keep moving forward. Amen, somebody? Amen. But in order for me to keep moving forward, sometimes I've got to remind myself when I want to get discouraged, when the enemy throws something up in my face, or he wants to make that iPod hit replay over and over again of the negativity or the lie of the enemy. I need to remind myself that God is faithful. I need to go back and look at the stones. I need to go back and say, you know what, God? The same God that has done a miracle in my little girl's life is the same God that is going to see me through this decision or this challenge that I may be facing right now. Amen? 
Because it's the same God. The same God that provided the manna is the same God that provided the, food, the fruit of the land that the children of Israel ate. The same God that made the walls of Jericho fall. The same God that made the Red Sea split in the middle. The same God that made the Jordan River roll up to one side. And the same God that has saved you. The same God that has forgiven you. The same God that has redeemed you through giving Jesus Christ, His only Son, for you and for me, is the same God that's worthy of your trust. That's worthy of trust. Is the same God that's going to get you through what you're going through now. The enemy would love to discourage you, would love to want you to just dive in and embrace depression. But that's not God's best. Depression is not God's best. Responding and reacting with anger and with bitterness, that's not God's best. And I'm tired of living below God's best and what Jesus bought and paid for. Amen, somebody? And so I have to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you through this. There have been times in my life where I got pretty discouraged and pretty down to where I didn't even want to pray. And I didn't even want to ask God to do anything because I was pretty sure he wasn't going to do it. At least he wasn't going to do it my way and when I wanted it. And I'd just get down and low and feel sorry for myself. Why even pray? Why even try? And in those times, God would still come and say, but do you still trust me? And all I could utter out was not some eloquent prayer, was not some long prayer, loud prayer. Sometimes all I could say in times of discouragement, in times of doubt, in times of fear, in times of allowing my emotions to just run the show, sometimes the only words that I've been able to utter is, God, I still trust you. You need to remind yourself of the faithfulness of God and remind yourself that he's worthy to be trusted. Don't allow the enemy to have a foothold in your life by you giving power to the negative thing that you may be faced with right now. Instead, you need to say, God, I still trust you. And then you say it again. And then you say it again. And you say it again, and you say it again, and you say it again. Because the negativity and the lies that you've come to believe, you believed them because you've repeated them over and over again in your head. And the only way that you're going to believe the truth is you're going to have to repeat that over and over again too. You've got to counteract that lie by speaking the truth. Speak life. Speak life into that situation. Life and death in the power of the tongue. They that love it will eat its fruit thereof. You need to speak life into that situation. God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I still trust you. God, I know the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. I know that I'm supposed to trust in the Lord and lean not on my own understanding. I'm supposed to acknowledge you in all my ways and that you're going to direct my path. God, I know you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and I know that if my God is for me, who can be against me? You may not feel like God is for you in that moment because the enemy wants you to think he's not. The enemy wants you to believe that he's distant, he's not present, he's removed, he's forgotten about you, or your, your situation is not very important to him, or he's busy with other things. But the Bible said that he knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. The Bible says that he even knows the number of hair on your head. Why would anyone want to know that? 
Who cares how many hairs are on your head? God cares. That's who. And the reason he wants you to know he cares about the number of hair that's on your head because he wants you to know he cares about every finite detail of your life and he is for you, not against you. He wants you to know that you can get through this and you will get through this if you remind yourself of the faithfulness of God and you don't give place to the devil and that you pick yourself up and say, I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm going to keep pressing through discouragement, reminding myself of the faithfulness of God, visiting those memorial stones, saying God was faithful here. God was faithful here. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same God that moved in my life here is going to move here. I don't know how. I don't know when, but he's going to get glory from it, and I'm going to get victory because it's his victory I get to share in. I'm going to keep moving forward, and I'm not going to look back and live in isolation, pity, and discouragement anymore. And you got to speak that stuff, man. You got to tell yourself that. If you're speaking the lie of the enemy, man, you better be speaking the truth of God. So easy for us to recite the lie oh, I'm so stupid. Oh, man, I'm such a failure. Oh, I'm so ugly. I'm so dumb. All those lies we just repeat. We spew them out. You need to speak the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen? Amen. You need to renew your mind according to the mind that Christ has given us. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. That we're not thinking too highly of ourselves, but instead we understand our role, and we understand our God is faithful, and we need to trust and obey Him. And let's keep moving forward and pressing through discouragement. Let's remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God. And let's walk in victory. Amen, church. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.